Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 135 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about us living from a place of lust or a place of love. Let's dive in. This last weekend at Ellerslie, the discipleship school that I teach at, we had our fall alumni conference. And it was just a great time for the alumni to gather together and seek after the Lord as a group. I just love just the body of Christ coming together, and especially when you have all these old, great friends that you haven't seen in a long time. Well, the theme of this fall's conference was the battle over sexuality. And I don't know about you, but as you look at the culture today, we are just bombarded with the twisted and the perversion of sexuality, where the culture as a whole is confused about gender and identity and and just the perverseness of just everything is fine and okay and acceptable. In fact, it's celebrated. You realize that almost more than ever before, we need to return to a biblical understanding of what true sexuality is and how we are to live in purity, righteousness, and holiness before the Lord our God. Well, during that weekend, I had the opportunity to speak and I was talking about this idea of living from the place or the kingdom of lust or living from the place or the kingdom of love. Biblically, it seems like you can only live from one of those places. And so it's not like we can just straddle the fence. And the real question became, well, where am I living from? Am I living from a place of love or am I living from a place of lust? Now you realize that lust is all about yourself. It's all about taking. It's all about claiming. It's it's all about using for yourself. It's all about a selfish, prideful, I want it now mentality. Where love, biblically, is not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. It's not about demanding your needs and your wants and your pleasure. It's about, hey, how can I serve? How can I pour my life out? How can I meet the needs of the world around me? Well, I decided it would be fun this morning to kind of let you listen in on that session. And again, we were just walking through a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul is talking about the difference between living from a place of lust and living from a place of love. And again, I think this is a message that our culture desperately needs because we are sucked into this place of darkness, this place of perverseness, this place of lust. And I would just exhort you to allow God to totally radically change your life 
and move you from the kingdom of lust and bring you into the kingdom of his dear son, a kingdom of light and love. So without further ado, here's that message from Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, just as a reminder, the book of Ephesians is split nicely in half. The first three chapters is the content, it's the theology that Paul is articulating. And again, over 30 times in those first three chapters, Paul uses the language of in Christ, in him, in whom, of your position is smack dab in the middle of Jesus. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he says, all right, now based on that reality, based on your position, this is what that looks like lived out down on the streets of your, of your life. So if you want to know what being in Christ looks like at your home, well, Paul tells you. If you want to know what being in Christ looks like down at your job, hey, he tells you. If you want to know what, you know, what being in Christ looks like at any moment of your day, that's chapters 4 through 6. So obviously we're, we're in the middle of all that in chapter 5. And what Paul has been doing is he sets up this phenomenal contrast. In fact, in chapters, there it is, uh, in chapters 4, uh, starting in verse 20 or so, Paul begins to talk about this clothing language. And again, uh, it's cold around Colorado right now, so it's this idea of an overcoat. Right? In other words, most of you, when you left the dorms, uh, you put on some coat or some sort of a warm thing to keep your, keep your body warm, right? Uh, you come into the chapel, and some of you decided to take off that coat. Some of you are refusing. <laughs> you Florida people. Right? So, so you, you, you take off the coat. That's the language that Paul is using. And he's saying that you are to literally take off your former way of living. You're to take off that former way of thinking. Uh, you're to take off that former life known as sin. But what are you to put on? Paul says you're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we clothed with? Well, Isaiah says that we are clothed with a robe of righteousness. It's Jesus. That I, I, I'm not clothed in my own works. I'm not clothed in my own self-effort. I'm not clothed in my own intellect. I'm not clothed in my own whatever. I'm clothed in Christ. And that my position is to be in Jesus. And anything that is not Jesus, I'm to really take off I'm to remove, I'm to throw off of my life. In fact, the language of even putting off in the passage is, is, a, is a really strong word. It has this idea of to like, pick up a rock and to throw it as far and as hard as you can. And in other words, I'm not just to remove the old, old way of living. I'm not just to remove the sin of my life. I'm to really take that junk of my life and I'm to just like huck it as far as I can. Why? Because it is not to be associated with my living now. So Paul is using the put off put on language, speaking of clothing. Now, he comes into chapter 5, and he's doing the exact same thing, but he's using what, I'm, what I would probably term kingdom kind of language. Now, it's interesting, he does not even use the word kingdom in the passage, and yet what he's talking about is kingdoms. Isn't it interesting that there are two choices? And we will either be participating in one, or we will be participating in the, in the other. Now, if you have your Bibles, just want to read Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5 with you. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Oh, all right. Didn't know what I had on the screen. Uh, and do not let sexual immorality or any impurity or greed be named among you, as these are not proper for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse joking, which are not fitting. Instead, give thanks. 
For this you know, that no sexually immoral or impure person or one who is greedy, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Paul's setting up a contrast. Uh, he says there is this kingdom of love. And there's a kingdom of lust. And you get the opportunity to choose which one you want to live in. So I just want to walk this through with you. Again, there's this kingdom of love, or you could call it the kingdom of life or the kingdom of God. And again, it's, it all comes from verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, there's no way to imitate Christ without the impartation of Christ. In other words, there's no, there's no way that we can live out the life of Christ. There's no way that we can live as God is calling us to live. And of course, if you've spent any time around Ellerslie, we're constantly talking about this, that, that you don't have it in your pockets. That as Ian Thomas said, this is not about your personality or your background or your talent or your money or your resource or your whatever. That the life of Christ is only defined by Jesus Christ. And though you may have the Christian life, you're not yet living it if he's not living it in and through you. You realize that the only way that I can imitate the life of Christ is to have the life of Christ within. See, I can mimic. See, right? A parrot can mimic. Right? You look at a parrot, and you're like, be a human. He goes, I know what I'll do. He gets a bracelet, WWHD. Right? What would humans do? Right? And this little parrot puts a little bracelet on, it, on its little leg, and it's strutting around. Do you know that parrots can strut? Right? And, and parrots can, can mimic words, and parrots can, they can do the actions, but we would all look at a parrot and go, buddy, <laughs> you're a bird brain, right? You're, you're, just, you're just full of feathers. You're, you're mimicking, you don't have the substance. Do you know how ridiculous it is that when we, oh, hey, you're to live the life of Christ, I know what I'll do, WWJD. Well, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? So whenever I get into a situation, I'll look at my bracelet and go, oh, what would Jesus do? And I'll mimic do you realize that's not Christianity? Because Christianity is not mimicking. Christianity is being filled with the life of Christ himself. And your actions, your words, come out of the life within. This is not you WWJDing it. That's not New Testament. That's actually Old Testament. What's the New Testament? Oh, you have the life within you. So now you don't have to look at a wrist and say WWJD. You just turn with within to Jesus who lives in you via the Holy Spirit and say, oh God, what do you want to do? What do you want to say in this moment? And you're living by the indwelling life of Christ. That is Christianity. So again, you are called to be an imitator of God, but the only option you have to be an imitator is to have the impartation of the Holy Spirit within you. Now Paul goes on and he says, you are to walk in love. Now he's not talking about a strut that you have down on the street. He's talking about your manner of life. And again, he's setting up this kingdom thing. He says, hey, you have, there's this kingdom called the kingdom of love. And you are to live and function within that kingdom, within that reality. And you are to be marked by the king of that kingdom. And do you know what the king of that kingdom is marked by? Love. For he is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16. God is agape. This is the love 
This is the king. And the character of the king is what defines the kingdom. And Paul says that you are to live within that realm, within that kingdom, in that position, which is in Christ. Now, he contrasts that reality with a whole different kingdom, which is the kingdom of lust. Or you could say it's the kingdom of death. And again, it comes from verses 3 through 5. Paul says, Do not let sexual immorality or impurity or greed be named among you, as these are not proper or fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse joking, which are not fitting. Instead, give thanks. For this you know, that no sexually immoral or impure person or one who is greedy, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Here's the question. Which kingdom marks your life? Because you're going to be known by one of those. As you begin to walk through this passage of the kingdom of, of lust, it's interesting that Paul's phrase is that there's not to be even a hint of that kingdom in your life. That there shouldn't even be an ounce. That, that we should be able to go through your life with a fine-tooth comb, and we should say, you know what? There is none of that in your life. Could you imagine what that would be like if you had none of that in your life? Could you imagine the freedom? Oh. Could you, you would never have neck problems. Because you never have to turn... turn you know, to see who's watching you. I mean, do you know how wonderful it would be not to live in the junk of the world, to be set free by the life of Christ, and to live in a position of freedom, of purity, of righteousness, of holiness, of triumph, of joy? And isn't it sadly ironic how often we want this and we keep crawling back to this? Uh, Paul goes in and begins to explain this. He says, again, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed be named among you. That word sexual immorality, it's a lot of times translated fornication, which is Eric's preferable word. But it's the Greek word porneia. And it's interesting, you you even recognize in that word, there's an English word that we get from this Greek word. Right? It's pornography. It's, It's taking sexuality and it's a twist of how God intended it. Uh, it can be translated fornication, sexual immorality, prostitution, or unchastity. And again, that word, it's one of the fruits of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. And there's, do you know what the flesh produces? That. Do you, do you know what happens in your own natural man if it's not harnessed by the life of Christ? That. They don't have to go striving after this. This is the natural reality of someone who is not in Christ Jesus. That this is just the default. And it doesn't take very long of looking around the world and going, <laughs> that's the default. That our whole world is wrapped up in that. Our churches are being consumed with that. That for too many of us, our minds have been polluted with that. Now, again, it can be translated generally as sexual immorality or unchastity, but it can also refer to more specific behaviors such as prostitution, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and incest. In other words, this is a, it's a large umbrella, if you will, talking about the twist, the, the junk, that which should not be in your life. And Paul says, that should not be named in you. By the way, that does not mean, oh, let's not talk about it. That I'll have it in my life, I'll just, I'll just never mention it. 
That's not, that's not what it's saying. <laughs> it's saying that if you were to be scrutinized, if, if every cupboard and crack of your soul could be examined, that couldn't be named in your life because there's nothing of that in your life. And just as a fresh reminder, you realize in our, in our natural man, we all have that. So how on earth are we going to live a life where that's not named? Because, hey, you can go to my past, that's named. So how am I going to live a life in the realities of now where that's not named? You realize we need Jesus? I love the reality of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul's saying that there's been this line drawn in the sand. And you have stepped over the line. And there is such a radical shift, a radical change of your nature. Not, not just behavior, nature. He says the only way we can talk about you of the shift is that we have to call you a new creation, a new creature. That you are not what you once were. That yeah, you may look the same, you may talk the same, you may smell the same, but you are not the same. Praise the Lord. And that what used to define you no longer has to define you. What used to be named among you no longer has to be named in you. That you can actually do this correctly. That you can live in victory, in triumph, in peace, in hope, in joy, in triumph, and the freedom of Christ Jesus. That as Colossians says, the chains have been broken, and you have been set free from the kingdom of darkness, and you've been brought into the kingdom of his dear son. And that is not to be named in us or among us. The other word that Paul uses, he says uncleanness or impurity. Now, it's interesting that this word has the word all right before it. So this is like all uncleanness. All impurity. So this isn't like, well, 80% of it should not be in your life. But 20%. Woo! Saturday nights! Yeah, Sunday's coming the next day. You can at least, you know, go and confess and repent. You know, that's, that's not in the passage. This is every ounce, every little bit, every amount of impurity should not be named in your life. It should be removed from your life. Now, that word, again, it's unclean or impure, but it's the negative form of the word which means clean or pure. So Paul uses the word clean and purity, but in Greek, when you put the a, the prefix a in front of it, it negates the whole thing. It makes it opposite. So it's basically what Paul is saying is that everything that is the opposite of purity, everything that is the opposite of cleanliness, everything that is the opposite of holiness and righteousness, that should not be in your life. Here's this activity. Oh, is it pure? Well, sort of. Then maybe it shouldn't be in your life. Because if it has an ounce of impurity, it shouldn't be in your life. Is that making sense? That's the idea. Now, it's interesting. If you were to literally translate this word, it has this idea of the lack or the absence of cleanliness or purity. So does your life have a lack of purity? Is, is, it, is your life full of cleanliness, of purity, of holiness, or is it lacking that? And Paul says if it's lacking, that's what should not be named among you. Or if I may say it another way, the only thing that should be named in our life is purity. Wouldn't it be an amazing thought if the world was looking upon the church today and just went, wow, how on earth are we going to describe the church? They seem to be known by love. And we can't, we can't find a single thing that we can hold over them. 
that every single one of those people in the church are so marked by purity, of righteousness, of holiness. And I know, I know how they used to live, so I don't know what is going on, but I need it. Do you realize that should be what defines the church today? That's what should define your life today. That when someone was to scrutinize your life and see how you think and how you talk and how you act and all the inner motives, they should say, whoa, all I see is love. All I see is purity. All I see is victory. All I see is holiness. All I see is the triumph of Christ Jesus. And I don't know how you have that, but I need it. Now, whereas that word porneia has this idea of the, the fornication, it's the twistedness of, of sexuality. So God made sex, sexuality pure. The enemy came in and just went, twisted that whole thing. So, hey, that twist should not be named in your life. But then Paul uses the word impurity and says, hey, anything else that might be impure, that should not be named in your life. And what basically is happening, it's rather broad in its application, and it seems to take in whatever is left over beyond the porneia. So even if you're like, well, I'm not participating in that aspect of porneia. Yeah, but is there any impurity in your life? Does that make sense? In other words, Paul's giving you no wiggle room in the passage. <laughs> He's saying it's not just this, the twisted kind of stuff. He says anything outside of the that's impure, unrighteous, unholy, that should not be in your life either. Now, if that wasn't enough, he keeps going on this thing, and he uses the word covetousness or greediness. So it's greediness, insatiable, uh, covetousness, consuming ambition, or greed. Uh, one Bible scholar defined this word as the consuming desire to possess more than others, regardless of actual need. It's this, I have to have more. And you know what that's like. You, you've been to the buffets. You, you, you've had one of those chocolate, you know, fountains sitting before you, and they're just like, help us, just take as much as you want. And you're just like, oh. And there's this insatiable, overwhelming, consuming, all-possessing, I have to have more. I'm full. I know I'm full. But tomorrow I won't be full, and I'll regret the fact that I didn't, like, feel horrible. So I'm going to keep going. Yeah, but do you need it? No, but I want it. That's this word. So it deals not so much, get this, it deals not so much with wealth or property, but in Paul's day, this word expressed this idea of being insatiable or not being able to be filled or satisfied. And it can be applied to any and every area of life. And what's sad is when this is connected to this idea of impurity, you realize what you define or what we have is our culture today. Because what we have in our culture today is not just a... A twisting. It's not just an impurity thing. It's a twistedness that's never satisfied. That's always looking for the next fix. It's, it's always wanting to be consumed with the next, the next little high. And, and you know how this is, right? It's, it's like if you look at the drug thing, you know, you, you start with this little safe, not, not safe, you know, it's, it's, it's a calm kind of a drug. It's, it's not bad. You know, maybe it's like a cigarette. It's bad. But you, you know what I'm saying? But then it gets to like, well, it'll be a little bad, worse, and then you know it gets to like the marijuana stuff, and then it gets to crack, and then it gets to ta -ta 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 -ta. and by the end, what started, what seemed like it was, well, it's just it's just one puff, it'll, it'll be okay. It, it consumes you. It's 
Do you know sexuality does that? If you begin to walk in the and the twistedness and that perverted stuff, what begins to happen in your life is that, well, what used to satisfy here no longer satisfies. You know, the, the little the magazine with everyone fully clothed, it just doesn't do it anymore. And so you go to this, and then it goes to this, and then it goes to this, and it gets more and more twisted and more perverted and more consuming. And, and what went from once a month goes to once a week, which goes to once a day, which goes to... See, the natural propulsion of the flesh is this overwhelming, I have to have more, it's, un, it's insatiable, it's, it's all-consuming, it's just, I have to, it, I'm greedy for impurity. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at our culture today, and if I was going to define our culture today, that's it. That the culture today is just wrapped up in the... It celebrates. I mean, it is, it is showcasing. It, it declares how wonderful the impurity stuff is. I mean, you can't watch hardly any movie or television show anymore without a celebration of the... Our culture is just consumed. It's just being sucked in. It's just being... And hey, that's just the natural reality of the flesh. Paul says, that should not define you. Hey, that is not to be in your life. Hey, that is not to mark your soul. Why? Because Christ has done something and he's changed your inner nature. That who you once were is no longer who you are now. That there's been a line drawn in the sand and you've crossed over. And now you can walk in freedom and triumph and victory. This is why we call it good news. Tell your faces. This is good. But the real question is, do I have any of this in my life? Hey, if, you're, if you were to look at my internet history, would you, would you see any of this? Hey, if you looked at my phone calls, would you hear any of this? Hey, if you were to come into my inner thought life when no one's around, would you, would you see this? Hey, if you saw the motives, the undercurrents of my being, would you, would you see this? Hey, when no one's around and no one's watching, do you, does this come out? Is it possible to walk in such freedom and victory and triumph that if someone was to walk through your entire life, every moment of every day, your thought life, your motives, what you say and what you do, is it possible that you could be known as a person in the kingdom of love and not someone in the kingdom of lust? I think it is. In fact, I know it is. So get this, my life is to be marked by the life of Christ. My life is to be marked by the presence of God in my life. My life is to be known by this kingdom. Paul says, you will know that they are my disciples by their love for one another. See, somehow when you're in the kingdom of love, the reality of the kingdom and the nature of the king defines your life. Well, the only other option I have is the kingdom of lust and the king of that kingdom is going to define my life. And the nature of that king, which defines that kingdom, is going to be defining my life. 
you realize that I'm to be marked by the life of Christ and not marked by sin. Because I'm a Christian. I am the one who bears his name, which is not just a name. We're talking about his character, his attributes, his attitude, his very life. Now, it's interesting that Paul tells you the why of the whole passage. Why is it that that stuff should not mark my life? Why is it that that stuff should not be imprinted in my Why is that that stuff should not even be a Why isn't it that that stuff is not even a hint? Why isn't it that that stuff, why am I, not, why, why am I supposed to be here? Well, he says it's, it's not proper. It's not fitting for saints to be over there. The word saint, by the way, it's, it's a holy one. Do you know what you were called in Scripture? You are called a saint. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, if you are in Christ and the life of Christ is in you, how we describe those people in Scripture is they're the holy ones, which is the word saint. And Paul says if you're a saint, and don't think of saint as, as, as we culturally have thought of saints, but if, hey, if you're living the life of Christ, and you are marked by holiness, do you realize holiness has no space in it for that stuff? That, that I can't be living in the midst of holiness and have that attached to it, because then it's not, no longer holiness. Does that make sense? That if I'm going to be marked by holiness, then everything that's not holy is not to be a part of that. And Paul says, hey, you are the holy ones. You are marked by the life of Christ, which means everything outside of the life of Christ, everything outside of holiness, should not have a grip on your life. In other words, don't be like the world. It's been fascinating to me as I've been studying Ephesians over and over and over again. Paul brings up the fact that you're not like you once were. Hey, the world thinks this way, you're to think this way. Hey, the world has this mindset, you're not to have that mindset. That he has freed you from this kingdom, and he set you into this kingdom. And my life is no longer, yes, I'm in the world, but I'm not to be of the world. Yes, I'm in the world, but the world is not to be in me. Here's Jesus, he comes and he's walking around. Do you realize he's in the world? But there is no world inside of him. He's been set free from that. And then you have been set free in Christ. Which means what? The world, though I'm in the world, I don't have to be of the world. And the world doesn't have to be in me. That I'm a sojourner. I'm, I'm a traveler. And yeah, I'm, I'm here but this, is, this place doesn't define me. This thought process does not define me. And Paul just over and over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians separates the reality of, hey, this is what the world looks like. That's not what you look like. You are not to be of the world. And it's interesting that in Paul's day, you realize that even the mention of purity was a laughable thing. No one in the Roman world thought purity was possible. The whole Roman world, the philosophy was like Las Vegas. Which is becoming more and more like our culture today. Sadly. But in the Roman day and age, purity was, that's not even possible. That's, that's laughable. You, you think someone could be pure? 
Why? Because everyone, if, hey, if you were to be spiritual, and everyone was spiritual, there were all the gods. Well, how do we appease the gods? Well, we go down and participate in temple prostitution. Yeah, that, that there was pornography all over the place. I mean, you, you read the book of Corinth, and you're, you start to realize the church has a serious issue, which is what? The church has brought in the very thing that was in Corinth, which is all this kind of stuff. And here's Paul standing up in the middle of a culture who looks at purity and laughs at it and says it's impossible and says, no, 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 you are called to that. You are not to look like the world around you. Yeah, the world is participating in impurity and junk and perverseness, and, but that is not to define your life because you are a Christian and he has set you free out of that. Do you realize that same commission is upon you? We are, we are coming into a day when it's almost laughable To even think of someone living in purity. We're, we're coming into a day where it's presumed that if you're dating anybody, that there's more going on than just dating. We are in the middle of a day where, where it is presumed that you live in darkness. And that light is just, well, if it's even possible, it's not possible for normal people. We live in a day where culturally impurity is mocked. And sadly, that has crept into the church. And here's a whole bunch of people in the church who just presume that, well, well yeah, I, I, I mean, I esteem it, and isn't that enough? That I, I mean, I know I'd really love to walk in purity, but, but that's, that's not the reality. So it must not even be possible. And the junk of the world has crept into the church. Paul says that should not be. I, I love what William Barclay said uh, in one of his commentaries. He said, in the early church, Christians never had any doubt that they must be different from the world. They, in fact, knew that they must be so different that the probability was that the world would kill them, and certainly was that the world would hate them. But the tendency in the modern church has been to play down the difference between the church and the world. We have, in effect, often said to people, well, as long as you live a decent, respectable life, it is quite all right to become a church member and to call yourself a Christian. You don't need to be so very different from other people. When in fact, Christians should be easily identifiable in the world. Christ does not take us out of the world. He makes us different within the world. Where are you at? Are you experiencing the realities of the fullness of the life of Christ? Are you walking in a kingdom of love defined by the one who is love? Or have you merely esteemed that and you're actually living here in the kingdom of lust? Where the is that which actually defines your life? That in your free moments of the day, it's not Jesus who reigns, it's the that reigns in your life. That if we were to somehow look into your thought life, it's not Jesus who is ruling your thought life, it's the that's ruling your thought life. And you realize when you start looking at the differences between these two kingdoms, there's a sharp divider wall down the middle. And let me just give you three quick realities of these two kingdoms. One, seems like there's this idea of total immersion. You realize I'm either going to be consumed in this kingdom or I'm going to be over here. It doesn't seem like I can straddle the fence biblically. That either God's going to change this reality in my life, he's going to purify me, he's going to transform my mind, he's going to set me free, and I'm going to live in this. I'm not saying you're perfect. 
I'm not saying you're going to do it all properly. I'm not, not saying that. But I am saying you're walking in the triumph and the freedom. That when you find yourself having that weird propensity to go back this direction to the leeks and the onions of Egypt, you allow the Holy Spirit in your soul to say, you don't need it. I actually have something far better. And you allow Christ to take every aspect of your life and align it in this kingdom. But it seems like there's a total immersion. Because either I'm going to allow that to take place where I'm walking in the fullness of Christ and I'm allowing him to purify and sanctify and give, give clarity and shapeness to my life. Or if I keep dabbling in darkness, then I'm actually not in that kingdom. That I may esteem that kingdom I may want the kingdom, but I'm actually here in the kingdom of lust, in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of death. See, I cannot pick and choose what aspects of Christianity I want to live. It's an all or nothing kind of a thing. But you realize I don't have to live here. I don't have to be enslaved here. I don't, I don't, I don't have to remain where, I, where I've been. That we can be set free by Jesus Christ, step over the line and live in the kingdom of love, the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. That doesn't mean temptation goes away. Jesus walked this perfectly and he was still tempted. So to presume we get to a place where we're never tempted, you realize we're trying to get to a place that Jesus never was. So it's not a lack of temptation, but it's victory in the midst of temptation. It's triumph in the midst of the difficulties. It's joy in the midst of hardships. It's peace in the midst of chaos. By the way, do you want me to call someone who lives over here? Yeah, I think we'd have to call him a Christian. Wouldn't we? Because this is what defines a Christian. It's not that stuff. And hey, you get a pick. But there's a total immersion. And either you're going to be all in here... Or I'm sorry, it seems like you're in that one. Not only is it a total immersion thing, there's this idea of fruit production. Isn't it interesting that whatever kingdom you're in produces the fruit of that kingdom? So if you're like, well, I think I'm in the kingdom of God. I think I'm in the kingdom of light. I think I'm in the kingdom of love. All right, what comes out of your life? Now you realize it's not the actions that determine where you're at. It's where you're at which determines your actions. It's nature stuff, right? I go over to the tree. I see apples on the tree. I go, oh, that must be a pear tree. <laughs> no, that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Obviously, it's an orange tree, right? <laughs> that, that makes sense. Well, no. We know it's an apple tree. Why? Because it's bearing the fruit of an apple. The same thing's true about your life. It's a nature thing. Whatever's on the inside is going to show forth itself on the outside. Jesus said stuff like, if you clean the inside of the cup, don't worry about the outside. It'll, it'll, it comes. Hey, you, you know a tree by its fruit. Why? Because it's a revelation of the inside stuff. This is not, well, grit your teeth and pull off the fruits of the Spirit. I'll try. That's not how trees produce fruit. How do trees produce fruit? They don't do fruit. They bear fruit. It's just the natural outflow of what's on the inside stuff. So if you want to know where you're at, just look at, the out, look at what's coming out of the inside stuff. Do you realize that if I'm in the kingdom of love, I'm going to produce the fruit of love? And if I'm in the kingdom of lust, you know what I'm going to produce? The fruit of the flesh. In fact, Paul explains all this 
in Galatians 5. He says, now the works or the fruit of the flesh are revealed. So let the Holy Spirit examine your life. Is any of this in your soul? Adultery, sexual immorality, that's our word, by the way. Impurity, that's our other word. Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, rage, selfishness, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Is any of that in your life? Because if, you, if you've recognized, even on the inside stuff, because you realize you could be an angry person and never show it. But inside, you're just brooding. Do you realize you still have that issue? You have a rage issue. Well, nobody knows about it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because it's not the outside, it's the inside that we're talking about. It's the motive, nature stuff. And Paul says, hey, if you have any of this, I warn you, as I previously warned you, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're not in the kingdom of God. Because what's coming out of your life is the evidence of the kingdom of the flesh. If you're here, get out of it. By the way, you can't do this on your own. You can't get out of that place on your own. But you have Jesus. The other option, Paul says, is you're going to be over in the kingdom of love and the kingdom of his dear son. And do you know what's going to come out of you? The fruit of that, which is the nature of the king himself. Because he is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there is no law against any of that stuff. And if that is the nature of the king and you are in this kingdom, do you know what's going to naturally come out of your life? That which is on the inside. And you're going to start bearing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And you just won't be able to help yourself. Do you want we call those kind of people? Christians. And thirdly, do you realize whatever kingdom you're in, you're bearing a reflection of that king. And we live in a world that is full of darkness. And what we need is people of light, not people of shadows. We need people who are shining forth the richness, the victory, the triumph of Christ Jesus. We don't need more shadow people. We don't need more people living in darkness. We don't need, we're trying to set people free from all that stuff. Would you bear the light? And would you bear the love? It's the reflection of this king. And if I can freshly encourage you, if, if any of this has marked your life, would you let him set you free? What I'd like for you to be able to say is, as we get into the book some more, Mr. Purity and me are tight. Because I call myself a Christian. And I have the life of Christ within. And he is bearing his likeness through me. He is showing forth his radiance through my life. And the things of the world that used to mark my life. Hey, there's been a line drawn in the sand and I am no longer that person. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you realize you are called to live here? And it's possible. Not out of your own strength. That's over there. Not out of your own effort. Not out of your own intellect. Not out of your resource, your money, your whatever. That I can live here in the kingdom of love because I'm 
full of the one who is love. And he has indwelt my life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And now I can live on a whole other level that I could never have lived before. We call that Christianity. Do you have that? Pray with me. Lord, I'm convinced more and more that I am hopeless without you. That there is no option, there's no help, there's no... I can't. And Lord, the natural course of my life is going to be the junk. It's going to be the kind of stuff. And Lord, for too long, the church has been known by the by the pollution that what's being named in the church today is all the junk, not your life. So Lord, I repent afresh of anything and everything that is not of you. Lord, could you somehow in the days of old come back and bring forth a a movement of your life, a movement of truth. Lord, could we somehow be the carriers of light into this very dark world? Lord, what would it look like if we were the ones who are the kingdom of love and not the kingdom of lust? Lord, what would it look like if we were a band of believers who marched into this world and declared there is freedom and hope, forgiveness, there is redemption, there is victory and triumph. Holiness and righteousness are not just good old words that were used in church days gone by, that they are the realities of our life now through your enabling grace, through the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can live the life you are calling us to live. Lord, I pray for those in the room that if there has been twistedness, if there has been pollution and perversion, whether it be in deed and speech or in thought, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray that we'd find ourselves at the foot of the cross. I pray, Lord, by faith that we would confess and repent, that we would renounce the works of darkness in our lives and that we would find the freedom that you freely forgive, that you freely give, Lord, I pray that we would be people of the kingdom of love, not of the kingdom of lust. Thank you for such a reality. We love you, Jesus. Give the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 135 for episode 135. And until next time, Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around the one who is love itself, Jesus Christ.